Hello, and welcome to this Future of London Alumni Network podcast. Future of London is an independent cross-sector network for urban practitioners. We champion leadership and diversity in the built environment, share best practice, and connect good people. To find out more, visit futureoflondon.org.uk. I'm Leanne Kelty, Program Manager of the Mayor's Supported and Specialist Housing Investment Programs at the Greater London Authority. I'm also a Future of London alumna and board member. Future of London alumni are graduates of its acclaimed London and Manchester leadership programs. We represent a growing cross-sector network of next wave urban leaders. This is our third podcast in a series where influential urban leaders talk with us about staying resilient and effective during the COVID-19 crisis. Our guest today is Alex Russell, Joint Chief Executive of the Westway Trust, one of the country's most prominent land-owning social enterprises, with 23 acres of land in London's North Kensington and managing over 130 businesses, 20 charities, and an urban sports enterprise. Welcome, Alex. It's great to have the opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, it's great to be here. You have an incredible and diverse community in North Kensington. It must be exciting and challenging to work with so many different people. COVID-19 has turned all of our lives upside down at an incredibly fast pace. It has changed the way our communities live, work, learn, interact, and communicate. Can you tell us about how you have been responding to the COVID-19 crisis as leader of the Westway Trust and how you've been staying resilient? Yeah, I mean, well, I think like everybody, this has absolutely rocked uh, our worlds, but at a, you know, a organizational level, um, a community level and a very personal level, um, you know, it's really unprecedented. We've had to make enormous changes at Westway Trust uh, in order to uh, make sure that we're keeping our staff safe and that uh, our community is safe as well. Um, and we've been uh, reorientating a lot of our effort, um, community work, to those who most need the support at the moment. So those who are isolated, who can't get access to food or essential items. Um, we've really stripped down uh, our, uh, our services so that we can support those, or those individuals as, as much as possible, um, working with a number of local partners. Um, in terms of my personal resilience, uh, this has been an enormous challenge. Um, you know, I was part of the Westway Trust when the Grenfell Tower disaster happened, and that was enormously moving. And it it was, um, you know, it shook everybody to our core. What happened then was that community came together, uh, and, and the organisation worked intensely with our community to rebuild. Um, and, and work through and, 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 and you know and there's still um, a huge amount to do following that situation and three years on we, we're faced with another colossal and devastating impact to to people who people's lives um, you know across the board but particularly people uh, who are you know who are vulnerable who have health conditions who are in poverty or just above the kind of breadline and um, we're all having to kind of face all of that and, and, and think through how we can do that. In terms of my own personal resilience and, and dealing with all of these things, you know, I, I try to get perspective and, you know, I'm 
in a relatively better position than lots of other people and I think you have to keep reminding yourself of that however difficult and challenging it is for you that actually there's a lot of people in a much worse position I try to stay realistic about what we can and can't do and you know so much of this is out of our control and I think you know as a leader of an organization who's desperately wanting to help the community but there is there's only so much we can do uh, and and just having to keep realistic about what we can and can't control in that we can't control what's happening in the wider economy and we you know we can only take on what we can do and, 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 and give yourself a break. <laughs> um, uh, mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, and I, and I, and I do draw strength from, you know, my peers at lots of other um, people in this situation who are working as landlords or, you know, in local authorities or in charities. And I, you know, I have um, invested some time with, you know, with my peers so that we can, I can learn from what people are doing um, and I can draw strength from what, what others are, uh, you know, are dealing with. You know, I've also somebody who takes care of my personal well-being. I do exercise. I eat well. I've started to meditate because, and my mother would laugh at this because it was going back to her kind of earth mother, mother roots. She's kind of big into <laughs> alternative therapies, but I started to meditate because I've just found that it's, uh, you know, it's an incredibly intense um, situation and you know it is all consuming and I don't I do need to especially when you're sort of cooped up in your little world that we all are now and, and however much I love my family it, it, you know is intense um, it's nice to have that space away and to to train yourself to take yourself to a calmer place even if it's just for a few moments a day so that's my new my new trick that's uh, you got lots of great tips there, but also just recognizing how difficult it is for all of us, no matter what our situation, and that some people are are really struggling and and f- trying to find ways to support them is really, I think, also another way um, to feel resilient. But can you tell us a little bit about what the Westway Trust has has been doing to respond to the crisis? Yeah, I mean, we are. In, almost entirely reliant on rents, um, which is in the good times, absolutely brilliant. We're a self-sustaining organisation and we turn over £6 million a year. It means that we can invest over three, four million into our community um, every year through programmes, running different services and through grants. Um, but in this crisis, we are hit enormously and we really only have a handful of people being able to pay us rent at this stage and we don't know when that's going to change that there's a massive uncertainty so that has meant we've had to fundamentally take stock of what we can and can't do plus we have the added uh, problem that we can't actually be with our community very easily because we're not allowed to be in the company of people and for a development trust like Westway that's really difficult to um, come to terms with. I think we know our staff have really sort of struggled to kind of go, well, how do we, we want to do our work. We want to be by, you know, by people's side, getting, getting people through that. So that's been a real, real challenge. What we opted to do very quickly was obviously we have to close our facilities. Trading had to stop us all enforced by government. And we very quickly put in place a team that was going to be the support team for our tenants so that we could enable them to get uh, the resources that they needed from government. Um, And that's an ongoing program of work. And we're now looking at stage two in terms of when they come back, how they come back and can they survive and what they need to, to, to do to survive and how we can support them with payment plans and various other things. And then there's the community directly and how we've, we've pivoted our, our investment, um, portfolio so that the in what we do have and we have had to scale this right back because we don't we don't 
have the income that we usually do is that we've been very focused and targeted at working with the food distribution um, network that was set up in Kensington by lots of other uh, local uh, voluntary sector organisations. And we've worked um, with them side by side to support them with funding so that money can get quickly out, uh, sorry, so that food can get very quickly out to those that need it most. Um, and we've also just um, uh, set up another small, very, very small grant funding programme to support uh, local kind of social entrepreneurs who've got ideas about how they can respond to this crisis and how they can support local people. So it's not just about the voluntary sector effort, but it's about individuals in our community who've said, I've got a great idea and this is how I think this can work. And we've provided seed funding for those sorts of innovations, which have been you know, just started in the last few weeks. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, that, that those will bear fruit too. So that's how we've so we've done it. We are, we are absolutely nowhere near out of this, out of the woods at all. I mean, I think there's a lot of uncertainty for us going forward and we're going to have to keep a, a constant review of our financial position and our tenant position. Um, and, and then again, what the community needs in terms of support from Westway Trust um, as we come out of, out of into the recovery stage. It sounds like you've had to implement a lot of changes in your day-to-day -day business. And we've talked a little bit about how you've adapted to that, but can you talk a little bit more about how the team has adapted and maybe how you keep your team resilient and motivated in, in these times? Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've, you know, it's big asks of the team in many different ways. Um, we had to put as many of our services into, into sort of remote working as quickly as possible. And um, I think the team responded enormously well. I mean, I, there's, you know, a number of people that um, live locally worked in the trust for, for for a while have seen you know us through the Grenfell situation who, who know what we need to do to respond in these sorts of crises. and I have to say people you know our team responded amazingly quickly um, and with flexibility you know I think again if you work in a community-based organization or charity session in the main you know people are there for their beneficiaries and they they do what they need to. They go the extra mile. They'll they'll take. They'll be flexible about their role. Um, and so, yeah, we've 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 very quickly, you know, adapted our our teams to be able to work differently. So we had a team that was working remotely with our service users around learning and accessing educational resources. We had uh, a team who were looking at how we repurpose our grants, and I've just talked about that um, and restructure that in a new way. That all happened pretty quickly as well. Um, and, we're, and we're plugged into the network of voluntary sector organisations that were coordinating the relief effort. Um, and then a team that was set up for the tenant recovery. Everybody's then working, obviously, remotely in that stage. And, and, we, and, we, and we quickly established a kind of weekly rotor of meetings where we would be making sure that the relevant people were checking in with each other. Um, and and the, other, the other category of people on our team were, were the people who we had to furlough and we didn't want to do that we didn't wish to do that we we, we did it was unnecessary because we didn't have the income um, and we don't have the income so an interesting psychology there lots of people wanted to stay they didn't want to be furloughed they understood why but they you know they wanted to be part of the response because that's why they joined the organization to be part you know to support the community so that's been a bit of a journey for some people to not be part of it and we've 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 got a group now that meets regularly. We have team meetings where people can join. I mean, they can't do work, but they can just hear updates and just have socials with, with other team members so that people know what's going on. Um, and it's kind of kept the spirits up. So that's been good. 
Yes, it's really important to keep everyone um, motivated and just regardless of what they're doing, keeping them involved. So, so that's really, really interesting to hear. You know, I think for people who are furloughed, it's, it's more important than ever that we really make sure we stay in touch with them and they know what's going on because it is, I think it's quite isolating in another way. You may have lots of family around you, but if, if there's a whole body of work that's going on, you know, at your place of work, and if you care passionately about that, place of work I think it is quite alienating it's been really important that we have our sort of weekly check-in with with pretty much everybody so I hope that when we come back people feel as if they may not have been um, part of the decision making but they they're they're at least up to speed with everything and and feel part of the journey Okay, switching a little bit to your community, can you talk a little bit about how your relationship with your partners and your community has changed uh, through this experience? Yeah, I mean, I think with partners, I think, well, from our perspective, it's felt as if there's a a kind of we're all in it together spirit that I've witnessed. And most of the people that we're working with, you know, and it's and it's stressful. And, you know, there's times of, of real challenge, but I feel as if in the main, everybody is, is collaborating in a, in a way that, you know, I, I would have liked to have been happening years and years ago, really, where we, we have sort of more honest and open conversations. People share their, their vulnerabilities in a way they didn't before. People share their sort of feelings in a way they probably didn't before. And, and it's meant, made for a more trusted and open relationship with people. I feel that there's a more sharing of what, what can we do, solutions, um, people aren't holding on to things and wanting to go on their own, that they're wanting to collaborate. And so that that's, has been our experience. I mean, I wouldn't say everything's rosy all the time, but I, I would say that in the, in the main, there's been a kind of like, gosh, we're all faced with this enormity and how do we, how do we collectively come through this? Yeah, and that, I think that's the thing that's, that's been most prominent for me. And I, you know, long may that continue because I think we're only going to get through this if we work with, with others. I think it's really important to be, to be honest about how you're affected and how you feel about everything as we go through this, because yeah. it is so challenging. And, and, you know, as you say, that increases trust as people are open about who they are and, and what's important to them, that, that can only improve relationships, I think. So that's really interesting. I was wondering if you could share a story of resilience that has really inspired you over the last couple of months. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the organizations or the individuals that are showing the most resilience are those that are, are quickest to adapt to the changing situation. Those that have flexibility and nimbleness about them, be able to see that you need to pivot your offer or your, you know, your opportunity in a way that is relevant to today. And those are the organizations and individuals, I think, who have resilience through this, you know, as well as those that have, you know, bags of money, but, you know, let's just talk about it from an <laughs> abstract point of view. Um, so my example is of the Venture Center, which is in North Kensington, which is a partner of Westway Trust. They are a, a voluntary sector organization um, and they run a, a kind of community centre. They do loads of work with young people. Our nursery runs out of their centre and they do loads of, you know, after school stuff, uh, a whole 
plethora of, of, of services, but they largely rely on bookings because it's a community centre. So organisations book to have you know their hall or their rooms or their whatever, and, and you know it's run on a shoestring. And they they don't have any bookings because they can't open as that sort of centre now. And they very quickly and within weeks pivoted. Um, and this is what I thought was fantastic about them. They pivoted and said, actually, this is an enormous space. We're going to turn this into the warehouse where we can store all this food and essential items and the food distribution networks of smaller organisations that are going about delivering can come here and, all, and take their stock and then go out and deliver. It was a sort of intermediacy between supermarkets who could, didn't have anywhere to parcel the, the food and essential items onto, couldn't go around and distribute to all the little distribution centers themselves. And we were really struggling with an impasse there. And the venture center stepped up and said, why don't we take all of this um, stock and we will house it and we will make sure that it's categorized and people can get all of the stuff that they need. And they've become huge. I mean, they were hugely relevant before to our community, but they've pivoted very quickly into this new role. Um, and they're, they're now seeking get, to get funding um, to be able to support that on as, as a, as a longer term basis. And, and we're, we're working alongside them to do that. And I think that's just a really good example of how in a community, you're really connected to what's going on. You know what the community need is. You know the partners that you need to work with. You can see that there's a challenge and a, and a blockage and you can very quickly reorientate yourself to that and I think they're a really great example of how to kind of manage your way through this. Yeah, that is really interesting. Being able to take a quick decision and see uh, a need and think about what you have available to offer and being able to respond, that, that's uh, inspiring. And I'm sure there's many, many other stories out there across London um, very similar to that. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. I just wanted to move towards thinking about um, the greatest impacts of from COVID and particularly on communities and the charitable sector. And just to hear your thoughts on that. What we're seeing is, I mean, there's, there's a myriad of impacts that are affecting the communities. Some of the stuff that's getting reported is um, to us in our, with our um, distribution centre is that, there's a whole swathe of people who are knocking on the door of the food banks and the distribution centers and asking for food when they wouldn't, they would, they would never have dreamt that that would be them, you know, and those people are, uh, who, who, who aren't, you know, in poverty or on, you know, on real low incomes, but they've been forced into that position because they've lost their jobs and the economy's fallen apart. And, and so I think, you know, a major, a major issue is that more and more people are going to get pushed into that bracket, which will have a huge impact on our community and the charitable sector for certain. There's some real specifics around young people and technology. And um, you see, you know, a real exasperation of stuff that's been there before in terms of the, the income gaps and the, the haves and haves nots. And it's really exacerbated that across the board. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, young people who are in households where there isn't the technology, you know, they're massively disadvantaged when it comes to homeschooling and all this online, this, that, and the other. And, you know, they're in households where there may not be any technology or if there is, they've got to share it. And, and the Wi-Fi isn't very good. And, the, you know, and that's set against, you know, another family who have all the kit and all the, all the, um, 
resources available to them to be able to provide for their kids. You, you really see that gap kind of opening up. And the same with kids who have access to other sort of cultural and sporting opportunities. So, you know, there's a, there's a cohort that where parents won't be taking them out for, for one reason or another, and, and, and they're, they're stuck in a very difficult situation. And there's obviously all the stuff that you hear about in terms of domestic violence and, and there's a huge increase in that side of things. I, I feel that there's a kind of real exacerbation of what was already there and it is being exacerbated and exaggerated um, and brought out to the forefront. How we as a society respond to that is going to be interesting to see. I don't have an answer, but I think we're really facing it now. It's much more front and centre of people's minds um, because of COVID. We've all had to stop and look, and it's it's there. It's you know it's so those there. Yeah, that's where I think we've got some some big impacts and some big challenges ahead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thinking about ahead and the future and recovery what do you think are going to be the greatest opportunities from COVID and are there positives that communities and the charitable sector can take when looking toward recovery? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, I've been thinking about this in our context as a, a landowning charity. We already have a quite an, an eclectic mix of tenants on our estate and it's a real blend of, um, you know, highly commercial advertising towers as well as, you know, small charities and and kind of everything in between. I actually think this is a really good opportunity for, you know, communities to have play a much bigger part in their, in their local placemaking and local high streets and um, local areas. uh, Because I think that people will um, certainly for the, for the medium term be quite focused on the local wanting to, um, make the most of the local uh, area and I think there's a great opportunity to rebuild a kind of local economy around spaces that will be inevitably vacated because not all the businesses will survive this um, and actually how do you how do you take advantage of that in a way that enables local people to grow, grow their business their enterprise you know where there's more civic spaces um, where people can just come together um, and it's not all about retail, that it's about many other things. And I think uh, that blend of kind of civic, you know, creative, sporting, all of those things coming together and alongside, you know, obviously commercial properties and spaces as well. But that blend, I think, is something which I think could be really explored in this, at, this, at this moment. And I hope that there's people sitting in there in their flats and their houses now working out their ideas of how they're going to, they, you know, they've seen that, that local business that it's not going to survive. And they've seen a space, they're eyeing it up and they're writing in their business plan thinking I could take that over with my great idea. That's going to bring together loads of communities and businesses and, and, and get something good started there. And I, I hope that from this, people see, see that kind of opportunity and bring forward ideas. And I, and I hope local authorities and landowners and you know, people like us can go up to try and support that and enable that to happen. I mean, you know, we, we already know that the high street has been challenged for a long time. I think this will just accelerate that situation and we need to be pretty looking pretty quickly and innovatively about how we turn into civic spaces as well as uh, commercial spaces. How do you think that private, public and charitable sectors can work 
together through recovery and uh, building on some of what you were talking there about about the future even more so the the blur there needs to be a bit more of a blurring of the lines of public private and charitable in my view because um everybody sticking rigidly to their sector is just like it, it creates paternalistic society and i think we want to move away from that into a society where people are enabled to do for themselves really so i think the private sector i mean we're looking at our tenants private ones who've struggled with rent and we, we you know we're, we're looking at you know payment plans and the rest and saying actually do you know what maybe there's something you could do for us that isn't about giving us just a rent but actually if we're going to have um, a payment plan with you maybe you could be doing something for our local community where you're part of it and you're you're investing in it in, in other ways i mean we're about to embark on a on a greening program for our Westway estate and um, which which was due to start now but we, we're going to have to you know delay it a little bit but it's still very much going to happen with the gla and some of our tenants could play a really big part in the kind of public realm improvement, investing in green infrastructure, uh, investing in their own buildings to be more energy efficient, for example. There's, there's opportunities for some of them to give back in terms of training and development of our community groups, um, helping people with their business plans. You know, if you can't give us all your rent this year, well, okay, give us some time back um, to help and support people through the recession. That's the sort of thing that we're looking to do. Uh, we're also, you know, very heavily involved with, with RBKC and got a good relationship with them. And I, you know, we're sharing so much more information than we ever have done. And this crisis has just brought that forward. Um, and we're, and we're, you know, and, and, and the charitable sector as well will need to be more commercial. So, you know, I think there's a bit of a blurring of the lines with all of this, I hope, and where everyone plays a part in a kind of a civic society for all. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. And, you know, it kind of echoes what you were saying earlier about um, being flexible, nimble, being able to adapt, being creative, that everybody needs to sort of be doing that within what they're doing and coming together and finding ways to support each other. And, you know, yeah. everyone will have to work together because we're all struggling now and we will be for, for a while yet yeah. to come. Our final question for you, which is, in a post-COVID-19 world, what one thing would you like London to change or do differently? Yeah, I mean, I spoke earlier about our plans for a greening of the Westway estate, which is at a ground level. But we have an enormous motorway that runs over the head of all of our estate and through the middle of our community. And it has been a blight on the community and the lives of people for nearly 50 years. The air pollution is just unimaginable. Um, when we're in a, you know, a crisis like this, people relate it to wartime. What needs to emerge from that is some radical thinking. And I would like to see some radical thinking about how we tackle the air quality in London, you know, the carbon footprint, uh, and really take on the big environmental challenges that we face. And we would play our part in that with being, you know, a little mini landlord and all of this. But, you know, I think it's something that the, the GLA could take an initiative on. And I've seen that it's starting with pedestrianising of certain parts of London. But, you know, this needs to be rolled out across the whole of the city. And I, I would love for us to be 
you know, the, the kind of beacon city in terms of envi the environmental agenda um, and really showing the way. Seoul is, is, is held up as an, you know, an amazing example of how you can just turn a, a concrete jungle into, uh, you know, a green, a green forest. And, and that's what we should be aspiring to now because that has to change. Otherwise, we're going to have another catastrophe where we're, we're seeing our economy and our livelihoods affected, you know, like, like we have with COVID. So, and that will be more permanent in my view. So, you know, the time now is to be radical and I think be radical on, be radical on the environment. Wow. That's, um, that's really inspiring, Alex. I mean, we've talked so much today about challenges of COVID and how you personally and your team have adapted and shifted and changed and found ways to support your community and, you know, repurpose what you're doing, um, how others have been quick to adapt and flexible and how important that's been for finding new ways for them to support the community. You've talked about some of the greatest challenges of people that we you know, live with and uh, work with and what everybody's uh, really facing and, um, but also some of the, the great opportunities and, and how we can use our creative thinking and some of the, the terrible impacts from COVID, but being able to turn them on their head and find ways to, you know, for individuals and community to take advantage of those and really look towards a, a different future than, than where we've come from. I've really found that very inspiring. So thank you so much for sharing your incredible insights with us today. And um, I hope everybody who's been listening has, uh, has also felt similarly. That's it for our interview today. So I'll just close by saying that, again, I'm Leanne Kelty, and this has been a Future of London Alumni Network podcast. Thanks to you all for listening. Um, for more information on our next podcast and on the Learning from Crisis program, please visit futureoflondon.org.uk. Thanks again, Alex, for uh, taking the time to share all these insights with us. Bye for now and stay safe.